Number 767. Delighted to mark that, and we'll use that later in our service this morning. May I begin by saying, though, how thankful we are for the host of our membership here at Pippin, but also the many guests and visitors who've come our way today. We certainly are very delighted to always assemble in the name of the God of heaven and to offer our heartfelt worship to Him. And we certainly hope that all of us, our membership, visitors alike, will have been blessed by being here, and we're just happy that you came our way. Along that line, we certainly have a full schedule of services here at the Pippin Congregation. Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 10.30 for Bible study and worship. Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for a period of worship. And Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Classes for all ages during those Bible study periods. We just wish to be the kind of congregation that Jesus would look with favor upon. Having said that too... Again, very thankful for those who came to the Livingston, uh, to the West End congregation, I should say, in Livingston on Thursday evening for that VBS there. I was the attempted speaker in the auditorium class, and several of you came and supported that effort. And certainly Denise and I are very honored and blessed to have your association with us dur during, that, during that event. This evening, I should say this morning, as we turn to a lesson involving thanks to fathers. One last thing before we launch into our lesson. As you know, today, that Sunday set aside as Father's Day, the third Sunday in, in the month of June every year. In a way, as you can see on this slide, that is not that ancient, really, of a recognized day on our calendar. It was not, as you can see, until 1972 that it was officially placed upon the calendars of America. There's some evidence it may have been celebrated a little earlier than that, but it wasn't a national matter, but today. Maybe many of us have in our thoughts the consideration of Father's Day. I certainly am thankful for, for my children, and I know that you as fathers are as well, and what a delight they are in life, what a blessing in so many ways. And I thought this lesson today would be patterned after a word of thanks to fathers. It may well be that your father is no longer living, but as you reflect upon perhaps some of the matters of his life and that for which he stood, I hope at the very least we can utilize the Word of God today and be thankful for a father that exhibits the attributes we're about to study this morning. In particular, you'll notice as you close that slide, we're going to look at the first element of our list. And it has to do with the following. I've entitled it Material Provision, but I think as we appreciate some of what the Bible teaches, it may be more expansive than what may first cross our heart and may first cross the wording of that. As you well know, fathers are such that the Word of God would remind us of the following. We understand so fully that there are issues physically that are required for you and I to sustain life upon this planet. We need food and we need shelter. We need appropriate clothing if we are to conduct ourselves as the God of heaven would wish. And we appreciate, at least for youth, those have to be provided. A youngster is not able to provide those things for him or herself. And yet, the Bible already has within its pages the obligation that a father feels to ensure his family has the sufficient provisions that each person needs. You may notice as early as Genesis, or rather Jeremiah 3.24, it was pointed out there about the blessing of a father who provides in the character of ensuring his family has that which they need. 
today, isn't it so, that we live in a land so blessed, as Brother Dennis pointed out in prayer, that we often have governmental programs and other systems by which things can be procured. But a father will never simply give that responsibility fully to anyone other than himself. He feels the obligation, the responsibility to make sure his family has that which they need. It is no wonder in that light on next, that next slide, you'll notice the Bible has this statement to make. In 1 Timothy 5.8, rather pointedly, the statement is made that that one who won't provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That is to say, is behaving worse than even an unbeliever for even a general appreciation in life of those not appreciable of the faith of the Lord. Even they understand the obligation of a father in that connection. The following point on that slide, however, leads us to this application. It's one thing to provide the necessary food and those other physical matters, but the Bible also points out this. And isn't it sad to appreciate how that sometimes maybe we fail in this regard as well. We uh, overlook it. It has to do with this. Brother Cale read from Ephesians 6 verse 4, And ye fathers, notice how that direction is presented to us, And ye fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And maybe that part of the verse we so easily recognize, but what preceded it? Don't motivate things in such a way that there is a givenness to discouragement and a givenness to wrath. In fact, as you develop that point with me, isn't it so, fathers, that we have a wonderful opportunity to ensure that those youngsters in our life, that we don't conduct ourselves in a way to discourage them, in a way to bring confusion to their heart, in a way that in fact wells up with a feeling of dissatisfaction and disheartenment, but rather to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's entirely possible that we can choose to behave in a way to where we set them on a course in life in which they ultimately are confused. Is it not easy to see that the current confusion that reigns supreme in our world, specifically here in our land, where there are individuals who don't seemingly know their right hand from their left, they have grown up in a circumstance and have been allowed to be motivated by thinking, which is not in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's been directed in other ways, and in fact, to bring them up with a consideration in wrath. So many times that has led to the current modern problems that, oh, sadly, we, we deal with. But fathers, may we let our children know, as I've tried to express on that slide, a youngster needs to know that he or she is loved, needs to appreciate a degree of concern and caring compassion beyond the food that's on the table and beyond the circumstances concerning the clothes on the back, but to realize they have a haven of security, a home in which they can recognize is a citadel in which the matters that so often trouble the world at least are kept at distance. They need that kind of security and that kind of well-being. 
as you and I strive to be a father as we should, may we exert effort toward ensuring that that blessing is in place. You may notice near the bottom of that slide some particulars with regard to examples, many from the book of Genesis, that point us into even, even ancient fathers who took seriously this obligation. We'll not read all of them, but could I at least point out this one? In Genesis 25, as well as chapter 27, you remember there that, that well-familiar scene to us about Isaac and Rebekah. And we also remember, though, about Jacob and Esau. And isn't it true that, of course, Isaac was one whom, in his dealings with his family, it's another lesson for another time to ponder the favoritism that was showed and how that wasn't good. But it still is easy to note that Isaac, he had a very strong connection to Esau. He loved the fact he could hunt, and he loved the opportunity that, to share the venison that that boy would often provide. But to say that another way, there was a connection that existed in that family. And in chapter 27, you notice how it was exemplified. Maybe today, as you and I exert a degree of strong feeling for our children, may we always let them know how dear they are to us and that that will not stop when they marry and begin to, to develop homes of their own. But we will always have that strong feeling of wishing well-being for them and wanting to behave in such a way that that is encouraged. The last thing on that slide is this. Would it not then be appropriate today to have a word of thanks in our heart for a father who did provide materially and who ensured that love existed in the home and that there was an air of security and respect, how thankful we ought to be for a father who conducts himself that way and in days gone by did that as well. But what else might we be thankful for concerning a father? Would you be turning to Genesis chapter 18 and we'll encamp there for just a moment. As we develop the next point, Genesis 18, verse number 19 will be our thrust, but I'll begin reading a couple of verses earlier than that. The man under consideration here, known as Abraham, beginning in verse number 17, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? If I may provide just a bit of history with regard to that, the God of heaven had at this point made determination. Sodom and Gomorrah had chosen to live wickedly and had chosen to live in rebellion to the matters of God. And God at this point had made determination with regard to those wicked places. And now in light of that, as God reasons, if you please, with Himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because remember, Lot was living in there, and this near kinsman, or at least this, this close relative to Abraham, would clearly be impacted by this decision. And so in verse 18, "...seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him." Through the consideration in time, all nations would have the blessing and opportunity to be favored by Abraham's faithfulness. Genesis 22:18 will speak much about that. But now we come to verse number 19. For I know him 
that He will command His children and His household after Him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which He hath spoken of him. One of the, of the responsibilities that also comes with, fa- with fatherhood is the first thing on that slide. Instruction. To direct, to lead. Isn't it true that the husband is the head of the wife? He is the leader of that family. He is the one providing its direction in a way that no one else can. And that is an opportunity... And in fact, it is a set of talents that God has given to the male, to the man in that regard. Fathers, He has given that to us. And you may notice several different things in the Word of God are built upon that truth. In Psalm 44, verse number 1, and this sentiment is echoed in Psalm 78, verses 3 through 5. If I may just borrow a part of that statement, our fathers have told us is the exact expression of Scripture. As those ancient Jewish individuals were able to say, Daddy told me this. He pointed out to me the truth of God on this point. He, in fact, set forth examples in his teaching concerning what has happened in days gone by to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, and the other members of the Jewish family. But the point is, our fathers have told us. Now, you and I may not be Jewish like those texts speak, spoke of relative to those times, but the premise is still there and is echoed in many ways in the New Testament, isn't it? Our fathers have told us. Men, as fathers, we are thus in a position to be telling something, to be sharing something. Dads, always, always take your children to Bible study. It's certainly important to take them to worship services. But if you begin from an early age to ensure that those youngsters appreciate that a group of people are gathering, not for a social interaction, not to be lifted up and encouraged in a material way, but they are coming together for the purpose of studying the Bible. They'll begin to learn those wonderful records of Bible truth, and they will remain with them for a lifetime. But may I say, they will never forget that Dad was there too. That Father was also involved in his Bible study, period. He may have been in a different room in the church building, but he too saw it important to be a part of a studying of the Bible. You'll notice the next point on that slide then takes us to this point. Go back to what God said about Abraham. Verse number 19 is a dramatic truth, isn't it? God says, I know him. It would be fair to say that in the infinite knowledge and wisdom of God, he knows or is aware of all of us, whether I'm faithful or not. God knows I'm living, and He knows the kind of life I'm choosing to live. But that isn't what the thrust of this word meant here. God said, I know Him. Abraham enjoyed a close, intimate relationship with the God of heaven. He directed his steps after the commandment of God. He chose to walk near to the things which God had revealed. And God says, I know Him. 
But God, what specifically on this occasion do you know He'll do? That He will command His children and His household after Him. He will instill in His children, and yea, all who are in His household, the same appreciation for me, God says, that He's got. He will make sure that they are directed a path to walk after the ways of God. God knew that Abraham was that kind of a father. And He knew that that kind of influence would be a readily recognized thing. The last point in that verse we might say is this, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. God knew that a number of generations were going to need to pass before, of course, the Christ would come into the world and many matters would need to safeguard the truth of God in the lives of people. But Abraham would do his part, commanding his children after him in such a way that they too would honor the God of heaven. At the bottom of that slide then, you and I could at least make this statement. Dads are not going to be sinlessly perfect. No man will claim that. He will make his mistakes just like anybody else. But is the tenor of his life one that is directed in his own life as well as those whom he has the privilege of influencing, faithfully instructing in light of the Word of God? Was that his aim? Was that his motivation? Did he exert the effort toward that goal? If so, may we add that as the second point in our list. May we be thankful for fathers who are serious about faithful instruction to their children and to others whom they may influence in life. And what a blessing such fathers are. The third point of our lesson today is this one. The third thing it would seem we could readily add to our listing, things for which we could be thankful relative to fathers, I've entitled this one as Godly Illustration. Godly illustration, it is one thing entirely to speak the words, and maybe a father would be quick to do that. But it's far more demanding to live the life day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, to exemplify an ongoing life of commitment to truthfulness, to faithfulness, to honorableness, and to the matters which the Word of God has lifted so highly. It is with that in mind, I thought that I would begin with some statistics. According to one source, the following statistics, and I think they speak a bit of an element in volume. In a given family, if a child is the first to come to be aware of the gospel and to obey it, as you can see, there is less than a 5% chance that the other members of that family, meaning dad and mom and the other brothers and sisters, for example, that all of them would become faithful Christians. What if mother is the first one to become aware of the gospel, to be mindful of the truth, and to become a Christian? Well, the chances are far better that all the members of the family, especially including dad, would become a faithful Christian, but even then the numbers hover around 20%. But note the last one. If dad is the first to become committed to Jesus, to give his life to following the matters of truth, 
to invest himself in a recognition of full belief in the matters of the gospel, then the chances are about 90% or better that the other members of that family, meaning mom and the children, will become faithful members of the church. Dads, it is remarkable the kind of influence that we are able to exert. It is phenomenal what kind of standing in the minds of youngsters and in the leadership of the wife that you and I can have. It is no wonder in that regard the next statement quickly follows. In terms of the family, God would desire that you and I be the leaders thereof spiritually to make sure that the matters of God's Word are encouraged, that truthfulness is important. No wonder the conclusion that is evident is this one. Fathers, do your children hear you lead prayers? Are they comfortable in the appreciation of the, of the observed witness of how close you are with God? After all, our prayers ought to be an indication. Are you comfortable praying? Are we ease in our heart as we approach God in prayer? Do they again see you as you are excited about church services, moving in the direction of Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings and Sunday evenings, knowing how important those times are as occasions to honor what God is and what God has done? They will leave a lasting imprint again on our children. The last thing on that slide is this. We're going to turn to David as the example of this one. Would you be turning to 1 Chronicles 22? As David, of course, would become the king of Israel, we easily remember that the time in his life was such that there are many things that happened in David's life. But as he approached the end of his days, the following statements from the Word of God are given to you and to me. May I begin in verse 6 of 1 Chronicles 22. Then he, that's David, called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my heart, in my mind, I should say, to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house under my name because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son... The Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt prosper, if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with, with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. These words that David shared with his son 
it's easy to see what was most significant. Among all other things, I want you to know, Solomon, I had wanted to build the temple. But do you know why I didn't? Because God told me not to. I had chosen, you see, by virtue of the life that I had in conquering the things that I did for the nation. It was in the mind of God that I not be the one to build it, and so I didn't. But you know what? He said, you should. And so here was a father charging his son. This duty is now yours. And all that goes with it rests with you. But did you notice what else he said? What would be involved in the prospering of Solomon? I'm sure any father wants his children to prosper. He wants them to understand the degree of prosperity that would be appropriate and right. And you notice here he said, Only the Lord give thee understanding and wisdom. It was the wish of David that his son would have knowledge and wisdom and understanding, but... The next verse went on to say, This is what will lead to your prospering. If thou take heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments of the Lord. The thing greatest, the thing that means the most, the thing that is the nearest to the heart of a godly father is the choices his children make to live godly. The observation that's easily seen in them that they would vouchsafe to themselves the nearest and grandest thing to be close to God. That's what brings the sweetest smile to the thought of a dad. If you have a father that has behaved like that, who has exemplified godly illustration, along with the faithfulness of his wife, be thankful for them. Today is certainly one day among 364 others that one can feel a degree of obligation to express even mental thanks concerning this because of how important it is. As you and I close that slide, we've looked at those words, but it might well continue in light of some other Bible characters. In Job 1 verse 5, you and I know what's about to happen to Job's family. That opening chapter highlights he was the greatest of the men of the East, this patriarch in the land of Uz. And yet, we notice that what was he doing in verse 5? He was offering sacrifices and burnt offerings for his children. That is to say, he was offering to God things which he would hope would redound to the blessing, to the considerations of the lives of his children. Any dad who is godly would happily sacrifice and give of himself for the well-being of his children. And so it is we see that this was happening for Job. And yet later in that chapter, those children sadly were, were such that they passed away. Oh, what anguish came upon Job and what a loss it would be. And yet, as that book developed, we see a man who was suffering but a man who often had questions, but a man who didn't renounce his faith. Dads, may our children see in us, even when times are rough, things happening about us, may our faith be steadfast. May it be unmovable. May we always be directed in the pathways of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Finally on that slide, and we'll close our lesson that way.
as fathers are presented in the Word of God, there are many things for which we could be thankful. And we've highlighted today three elements, three attributes, one of which was material provision, one of which was faithful instruction, and one of which was godly illustration. It is with all of that said, that review perhaps leads me to the last thing I've included on that slide. I do not know the author of this poem. I do not know the time frame when it was written. Though I researched it, I was unable to find any of that information, so I cannot give the proper credit to whoever wrote it. But the poem reads like this. There are so many things I'd like to tell you face to face. I either lack the words or fail to find the time and place. But in this special letter, Dad, you'll find at least in part the feelings that the passing years have left within my heart. The memories of childhood days and all that you have done to make our home a happy place and growing up such fun. I still recall the walks we took, the games that we often played, those confidential chats we had while resting in the shade. This letter comes to thank you and for needed words of praise, the counsel and the guidance too that shaped my grown-up days. No words of mine can tell you, Dad, the things I really feel, but you must know my love for you is lasting, warm, and real. You made my world a better place, and through the coming years, I'll keep these memories of you as cherished souvenirs. Again, I don't know the author, but at the very least today, may we be thankful for godly fathers. And as Ephesians 6 verse 4 closes our lesson today, Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if a father has done that, regardless of the other details that may be characteristic of his life, he has certainly accomplished a great deal. May we be thankful for the fathership of our Heavenly Father, who always does everything right. He never makes a mistake. He never leads in the wrong direction. And He never has words that are improper. And so, isn't it true, the Word of God would encourage all of us as the children of God to appreciate His fatherhood. Today, if there's anyone in this audience who is not a child of God, don't you know how much you're missing? Don't you appreciate the extent to which you are lacking because you're trying to go it alone without Him and His leadership? Only He can lead you to heaven. Today, if you haven't honored His fathership, why don't you do that? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 reminds us that we can refer to Him, Abba, Father. If you're not His child, you can't do that. This very day, if you need to obey the gospel initially, you must begin with belief. You must continue that, of course, with repentance of sins in your life. Confession of the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master and then baptism for the remission of your sins. And we'd be delighted to assist you today. If you, however, have known that blessing at some point, and even for a period of time in life, but your life has since fallen into unfaithfulness, you've begun to live in a way that is not what the Bible teaches. You know the devil right now has control over you. You don't need to let that persist. You need to make a change. That again means repentance. And as you confess those errors, 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9, 
God will forgive. And we'd be delighted to pray to God on your behalf. Today, if we could be of any assistance in any of these ways, we'd like to invite you. We'd like to encourage you to come and do it at once, right now, while together we stand and while we sing.